Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by the Case Keenum to my Robert Griffin III. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, doing really good. Uh, I feel like I have a promising career coming out of the University of Houston. And our very own Devlin Duck Hodges. That's right, the Duck. Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how are you doing? Man, about to quack on some fools. I, was, I, I, had, duck. I had to choose between Mason, Rudolph, and Dev. Duck Hodges and I was like, you know what, Mason Rudolph has a square head and is stupid, so I don't want to do that to Eric. Yeah, I'm gave Eric the least racist uh, Steelers quarterback. <laughs> also, uh, you know, Mason Rudolph when he, you know, when he got like hit in the head with a helmet, it was terrible. But the more I look back at it, I'm like, he's got a hittable face. Okay, so the big story of Seahawks uh, this week was Joe, Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams made a list of seven teams he would welcome a trade to and said that for these seven teams, you do not have to give me a new contract. I'll finish my contract first, which is, uh, you know, obviously awesome. So very nice uh, Ravens, Cowboys, Texans, Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers, and of course, your hometown team, the Seattle Seahawks made the list. So. It's it's a lot We're of finalists, guys. We made it. A lot of a lot of time was spent this week talking about oh how how we get Jamal Adams. What could we give up? What do we do it? There's a couple factors here for me that make me think that uh, I don't know if we're gonna i don't know for the, the the spot this is here's not the spot. nathan coming to rain on your parade okay number one okay is that the compensation they're gonna ask for is a lot because he's really good he had six and a half sacks last year as a free safety he plays excellent excellent coverage underneath and he's just something he's just something special in the in the nfl where he's um you know, a player I'd compare him to is the player that everyone got excited about in this year's draft that Carolina drafted, Isaiah Simmons. He plays in the box, but he's not a linebacker and he's not a safety. He's kind of everything, right? He can do whatever you need him to do, which makes him impossible for a quarterback to figure out, right? Is he rushing? Is he going to cover? Is he going to go out and cover wide receiver? Is he going to cover my tight end? Is he going to drop back into into um, zone coverage? They, the quarterback has no idea because he could do anything. And that is a very valuable tool. The Jets know what they have. They're not idiots. Um, they have a real GM now. Their GM isn't Adam Their coach Gates is anymore. An idiot. But so it's not like a Bill O'Brien situation where we can just fleece them because their coach is their GM and their coach is dumb. They have a real GM now. He's doing a good job. The Jets have built a talented roster and are one year away from getting rid of Adam Gase. So I, in my opinion, I don't, I don't, I don't even think they end up trading Jamal Adams. I think they'll figure out a way to work it out. But if they do, I would suspect some team like the Cowboys will give up way too much to get him, and we, we'll be happy that we didn't do it because I, a compensation of multiple first round picks is not something I would be really excited about. Now, if you said like, hey, we can get him for a first and a third and Brad, I would really be intrigued by that deal but i just don't think that's the case so um yeah what do you i what do you guys think what's your jamal adams thought eric um i don't think it's a great position of need right now there's other things i'd rather us do here's the thing about jamal adams it's enticing you hear his name it's enticing and like kevin said we made the list congratulations but also on that list there are some winners on that list but if you're going to put dallas on a list I kind of immediately lose respect for you. I don't care how stacked he's, your team looks. He's from Texas. I, I mean, don't care. I know and, Texas. And I'll be honest, as I as I go through and start picking games, 
I did think the Cowboys, oh, they're going to be pretty decent this year. Of course they will. Of course they will. Their their team is stacked. I'm just saying I don't like the Cowboys. Here's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, come on. I'm going to give my honest take. Here's my thing about Adams, though, is uh, what we would give up. Like, if we're giving up two first, that's not going to happen. That's also ridiculous. I just feel like the package we could offer isn't going to land him, and I'd much rather land uh, a defensive presence. If you're paying your quarterback as much as we are, you need to have draft picks because you need guys playing for the minimum. And yep. even Adams in the second year of this deal, he's going to get the average of the top five salaries at the safety position for the second year of his deal, which will be somewhere around $15 million. I haven't looked it up. but So the the second year of the deal isn't even like a, a steal. It's just this year would be a, a really cheap deal. Next year, he already gets expensive. So... Kevin. All right, now that the vegetables were rammed down your throat, time to talk about the fun stuff. So here's why everyone's excited about Jamal Adams. Um, Jamal Adams has a lot of flexibility, like Nathan was talking about. He's a defensive weapon, and he's the type of extreme defensive talent that you don't get when you're drafting where Seattle drafts all the time. Um, this is a guy who took a significant number of snaps all over the place. He took 400 snaps in the box. He took almost 300 snaps at free safety. That includes single high as well as uh, two high looks. He took snaps at slot corner. He took snaps out wide at corner. And the reason why he took snaps everywhere is because he's productive everywhere. This is a guy who, over the course of his career, um, like last season, he had seven sacks. Um, he had 25 total pressures last season. He had 22 total pressures in 2018. That means he'd have been one of our most productive pass rushers, if not our most productive pass rusher last season, from a safety if you just move those numbers over. This is the kind of guy that um, I think Pete would be able to uh, do work with. This is the kind of guy who changes the way that your defense looks and works. So he's a guy who's worth giving up quite a bit to get, especially for a team that doesn't have a lot on the books right now. That being said, if it's the uh, Jalen Ramsey deal, I don't think that we're in a position as a team to do that. And if the Jets are smart, they're looking for the Jalen Ramsey deal. But it's a fun thing to think about, and He's this is the time to have fun things. And another thing, too, is like Kevin went through snaps of position, but he's taken almost 100 snaps at D-line every season. Like this guy, it doesn't matter where you put him on the field. He's defensive he, player. He, he just plays good, and that's, it makes it a nightmare for opposing offenses where you just you don't know where this guy's going to be, and then once you identify him, you know he's going to do something. It's not, he's not just out there to be out there. You know, he's, yep. he's a – and like, yeah, like Kevin said, slot corner, box corner, free safety, D-line. doesn't matter where you put him. Um, yeah, Jamal Adams would be awesome. It'd be awesome. He'd be awesome in the uniform. I, I mean, it's one of those things where like, if the competition's really high, I'd be I'd be sad about it at first. But then I'd be like, wait, Jamal Adams is a Seahawk now. This is pretty sweet. So, yeah, this is like when we got Helmick Swinger McGee uh, in the rumors. Like it wasn't going to happen, but it was fun to talk about. And yeah. you know, when in doubt, err on the side of talking about fun stuff. Yeah, and then so then the other big Seahawks rumor this week is the Seahawks are going to bring in another wide receiver. Either Josh Gordon or Antonio Brown. Uh, it looks like those that's trending that way. One of those two guys is coming coming in. I know everyone has a really strong opinion about this, so I'm going to ask you guys to make a choice: this or that. Aaron, uh, Josh Gordon or Aaron? 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 Oh, you're getting close. Clowntonio Brown. Uh, Kevin. Clowntonio or 
Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon. I'm laughing. I'm laughing so hard because I said Aaron, and then I yep. thought about I thought about Aaron's party. Come get it, you know, like and and then how I beat Shaq, and I'm just now I got Aaron Carter in my head, and it's this just is, over. This is not good times. It's off the wow. rails for We're me. We're off. Uh, this is what happens when it takes an hour and a half to put your toddler to bed. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Late Late Show. Uh, Antonio Brown, my big problem is we have a established number one capable wide receiver in Tyler Lockett. We have an up-and-coming guy in DK Metcalf. And Antonio Brown had a lot of issues when he was asked to share the role of being the guy after he thought he was the guy already in Pittsburgh. And so what I wonder about, what I worry about, is if he comes in, what's he going to do to that wide receiver room? Um, and is he going to end up stunting the growth of DK Metcalf based on the way that he will behave and what he will demand? Will his prima donna attitude create problems? And I say this because I am going to throw out any sort of moral argument. The NFL makes that decision. So ignoring all that, um, not debating the type of person he is, uh, I worry about the type of player and locker room presence Antonio Brown would be. I think Josh Gordon comes in um, and he's not challenging for number one wide receiver. He's challenging for number three wide receiver. It's not as big of an injection of talent. But I, it's a guy that comes in, and we already know that he works with that group. And I do think that has some value if you think DK has the ceiling that I think he does. Eric, this or that, Antonio Brown or Josh Gordon? You know, after Kevin implied for what felt like 30 minutes that I'm not fun, let's talk about fun. Let's talk about Antonio Brown as a Seahawk. I'm all in on this because, one, he's going to come relatively cheap. Two, low risk. And yeah, he may destroy every Seahawk with the exception of Russell Wilson, but I think the chances of him screwing up and being dismissed immediately, I should say being dismissed immediately after a screw up is very high. I don't think we'd keep him on the roster like we did with Percy Harvin. Uh, If given the choice, I want Antonio Brown all day. Are you sick of us not throwing the football? Well, if we have Antonio Brown, we're going to be throwing the football a lot more. And what it's done, DK Metcalf's growth, this is a valid argument. I sure hope not. Let's find out. Uh, <laughs> as, I, and I don't want it to happen. But yeah, and uh, however, if we don't get that, we get Josh Gordon. Hey, hooray. Um, my thing is, I don't really care which of these two guys they sign. They need to do their due diligence, make sure that they're getting the right guy, and then bring them in because we do need a little, a little depth at the wide receiver position would be nice. Uh, we, we saw it happen last year when we kind of at skill positions didn't have depth and it really killed us at the end of the season with when we ran out of running backs and I would not want the same thing to happen this year with wide receiver. Well, we uh, ran out of running backs and we ran out of tight ends and we kind of ran out of wide receivers at times. It wasn't good. Yeah, it was not good. So, um, all right, that's it. Time for a topic of the week. You guys ready? Yeah. So, where uh, we went to the AFC East last week, um, I'm gonna update my prediction there. Uh, I have the uh, because I I've now picked uh, just about every game. I have the Bills winning the division, but at eight and eight. So I just wanted to let you know that I've com- significantly depressed my predictions across the board for the the AFC East. Um, I still think that this division is um, like if if a team is going to dominate and win a ton of games is the bills but they drew the the short stick with the fact that they have to play uh the 
AFC West and the NFC West, that's brutal. Those are, I think, like two of the three best divisions in all of football. So, uh, sorry, <laughs> I guess is my my uh, my point for that one. All right, let's go. Now we can go AFC AFC North. So we're starting off with the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens added Calais Campbell and Derek Wolf. They lost Michael Pierce, Josh Bynes, Brandon Carr, Tony Jefferson in the draft. They brought in Patrick Queen, J.K. Dobbins, Malik Harrison, and Justin Matabuke. It's Seahawks connection, of course. They added the legendary DJ Fluker this offseason. Uh, big fan of uh, Baltimore. He went 14-2 and two last year. Eric, what do you think about the Ravens? Starting us off, uh, the Ravens are the cream of the crop in this division. Seeing how they performed in the playoffs was, it had to be disappointing if you're a Ravens fan. As a football fan, it also felt very disappointing. However, I feel like they need some seasoning. With these moves, basically strengthening strengthening their line with DJ Fluker and Calais Campbell. Enough said. I just feel like the Ravens, this is their time to pounce. Let's face it, Lamar Jackson had one super solid year as a full-time quarterback. That was last year. Um, he needs to mature a little bit, not like, uh, you know, off the field, but just in the game. He just needed some seasoning. Uh, to go 14-2 and two is a, uh, I feel like that's not fair to place on them. So I will put them at, uh, are we doing, are we ending these? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Go I will Doug. put them at a very fair 13-3 and three winning this division. All right, I'll go, I'll go next. Um, I think that the Ravens are definitely good, but we've had a whole offseason to watch them watch their tape. They did something really innovative last year. They did bring in some help at positions I thought they needed to, which I which is smart. Matabuke and Campbell should shore up the any holes they would have forming on their defensive line, and they still have Pernell McPhee, Matt Judon, and now Patrick Queen to roam the middle of the field and stop underneath passes from destroying them. I like this team, but I do think that the offense will get a little bit of a regression. It's, it's hard to to uh, innovate and then ha- let everyone see what you're doing for a whole off season. We saw this with the wildcat offense and things like that. Um, so if they, if they add another layer, they could get back to maybe like that 13 and three range or whatever. But I think that they'll regress a little down to a division winning 10 and six. Kevin, what do you got for Baltimore? So Baltimore um, is interesting. I do think there's a chance that they were figured out a little bit, but I don't think that they were really a fluke. Um, I am with you. I really like the additions of uh, Wolf, Matabike, and uh, Broderick Washington on the inside. Um, losing Mormley and Pierce is a little rough. Marshall Yonder retired, which is really rough, but they brought in Fluker. They drafted a couple of guards. Yeah, Yonda is like the was like the be, one of the best guards in the league last year. Yeah, but, and throughout his career, he's been they, an anchor inside. But they have Ben Powers to just like I think that they'll be ninety percent because they already backfilled the whole last year, and they I don't think they expected Yonda to be around forever. They were they already had the succession plan in place. Yeah, and I think they made some really important additions on the defensive line. I think uh, speed at linebacker and quality bodies on the defensive line is something they needed in order to play the style they normally are accustomed to on defense. I think something that people maybe didn't notice as much yet last year because of overall success was that the defense was really middle of the pack. So I think that there's going to be some offensive regression, but I think the defense is going to do a little better and we're going to see end up seeing a pretty similar performance. I have them at 12 and four winning the division. All right. So we all like the Ravens, I think to win the division. 
Uh, I'm a little less optimistic about the win total, but I'm still optimistic about the team. So let's go to Cincinnati, where Zach Taylor enters year two with his brand new quarterback draft E, Joe Burrow. Uh, they added Mackenzie Alexander, Von Bell, DJ Reader, and Trey Waynes. Really went after those Vikings cornerbacks. <laughs> From that very successful Viking secondary. Andrew, They lost Andrew Billings, Cordy Glenn, Tyler Eifert, drafting Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Logan Wilson. Uh, Seahawks connection. Did you guys know Seahawks legend Austin Calitro is on their roster right now? Oh, that's fun. Wow. Yeah. All right. So um, I'll go first on this one. Uh, the, so the thing, they get A.J. Green back. That's big. They have T. Higgins. Their receiver room is stacked. This is a really strong receiver room. Joe Burrow is going to have tons of guys. They're going to spread it out because that's what Joe Burrow did in college, and he was really successful at that. They're going to spread it out. They'll play like one tight end with Drew Sample. They'll have Mixon in the backfield, and they'll have three of these guys, A.J. Green, Higgins, Boyd, Tate, Ross. They'll have three of those guys out there all the time. I think the offense will move the ball. Um, I'm a little worried about the defense because they're they're relying on big production from guys that have been in the league for 10 years. They need Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins to be really good still. And their secondary is, like like I just said, they took a lot of pieces from a very average uh, Minnesota secondary, and they're hoping that that can shore up what was a huge weakness last year. I don't think it does. The defense holds them back. They're better than you think. They're not going to suck. They're going to be in a bunch of games that that they shouldn't. Um, but I have them finishing uh, 7-9. and nine. So, wow. uh, Kevin. Uh, I do agree. Their offense is interesting to me. Um, they've got a lot of talent in the wide receiver room, just like you said. I think their offensive line is going to look improved. Um, they're getting Jonah Williams back, which is like getting a bonus first overall pick um, or you know, first round pick. They've got uh, a few other guys that I think can make a bit of a difference for them. It's going to look improved. It's not going to look amazing, but I think it'll be enough to help. Um, I think Joe Burrow is an NFL style quarterback. They're going to be a like something that resembles an average offense. Um, I think their defensive line is pretty good. They've got Dunlap. They picked up Reader. They've got Atkins. Sam Hubbard's coming along nicely, and then they've got some good depth pieces with Lawson and Glasgow. They've got basically two people behind that that I can trust: uh, William Jackson the third and Jesse Bates the third. Uh, basically, if you're not the third of something, I can't trust you on their defense. <laughs> and that's problematic. I think Logan Wilson could be a good middle linebacker, but yeah, I, I just think, I think basically they're going to get thrown out of the stadium. Like Akeem Davis Gaither is good, is going to be good at some point, but I don't know if he's going to be good right away for them. Uh, Khalid Kareem is a pocket pusher and he's going to add good depth. But they're really relying on the pass rush to do a lot of work because the secondary is not going to do a lot of work. And so they I only think have five and 11, six and 10 makes sense. They only had three defensive players over 75 PFF grade. They were Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, who have both been in the league for 10 years. That That's something. Yeah, they're, they're both not in gonna, their early to mid 30s. They're not going to be good forever. And then Darius Phillips, who is their slot corner, who started six games. Like they just don't have a a lot of a lot of um I don't they just don't have a lot, don't have a lot of talent bankable talent and again Jackson had a great uh, year two years ago and then last year it was a question mark uh, we're pretty sure Jesse Bates is good 
but he needs to prove it. He's been in the league for a couple of years, and we don't know that for sure. You know, Von Bell is a depth piece. Yeah. All right, Eric, what do you think about the Bengals? Uh, I think the Bengals went full depth pieces in their offseason, uh, in their, at least their free agency acquisitions. This team, <laughs> this is going to sound like a joke, and maybe it is, but it's also very true. The Bengals were not worried about it getting too good too quickly. Okay? So to improve on two wins, you're, you're looking at a massive building period. You can't do it overnight, Cleveland. So the Bengals this year, with a four-win improvement, that's a massive improvement. And I think it's I think it's doable for them. That puts them at 6-10. and ten. Uh, When you're... It's kind of like as you lose weight. If you're super fat, it's easy to drop 100 pounds if you're like super-duper fat. But if you're trying to drop 20 pounds and you're you know, approaching your goal, it's a lot harder. So I think this is where the Bengals will take a massive jump. Next year, it will take a little time for them to get to eight wins. But uh, Joe Burrow, he's got to be starting week one, right? They're on the... They're on yes, definitely. They're on the two-year plan, right? The this year they they go from two and fourteen to six, like we said, six or seven wins, and then they spend a whole draft just drafting all defensive players, and then an the offensive next, lineman, and then the yep. next year, then the next year they're they're like in the playoff hunt, right? They're yeah, they're on a two two-year trajectory. This for is the, the five to seven win year, and then next year's the seven to nine win year, and then if things are going to plan, it should be five hundred and above for like a good run after that. All right, so uh, the next team, we might need a special appearance from the <laughs> Schwab <laughs> Cleveland Browns, six and ten. Their whole season was ruined by Freddie Kitchens, <laughs> Baker Mayfield, rolling right, rolling right, rolling right, sack, throw, interception, interception. <laughs> they added Jack Conklin, Austin Hooper, Carl Joseph, Case Keenum. All right, Joe Schobert. They lost Joe Schobert to Mary. Eric Murray, I can't do it. Uh, I wanted to do the song too. The whole season ruined by kitchens. <laughs> I, I, I just, well, that was like the best moment of 2019. Jedrick will. If you don't, if you're not a Patreon, I'm sorry you missed it. Uh, Jared, behind the curtain. <laughs> Jedrick, they drafted Jedrick Wills, Grant Delpit, Jacob Phillips. Seahawks connection. They have Sheldon Richardson on their defensive line. Kevin, you're first. It's your turn. Tell us about the Cleveland Browns. All right, so the Cleveland Browns are a team. Um, their wins above Raheem Morris was one of the lowest in the league last year. So I think that's something that we definitely have to take into consideration here. For those of you who don't remember the old warm stat from uh, Grantland days, uh, basically their coach sucked so bad that he was worth negative wins. And I think that can especially be the case when you have a young quarterback. Um I think there's both reason to believe that Baker is better than he was last year and reason to believe that the hype around Baker was more than it should have been. Those two things can simultaneously be true. And this season's going to be a good testament to both of those ideas. Um, they have loads of talent uh, at receiver still. They improve their offensive line. They now have two real NFL tackles, which is two more real NFL tackles than they had. Um, Nick Harris challenging JC Treader. Uh, you look at what looks to be a functional interior offensive line. So you get a decent offensive line. You get a couple of tight ends for doing the types of formations that, um, that Stefanski is going to bring over from Minnesota. 
Uh, you have Nick Chubb, who's one of probably the two or three best running running backs in the NFL. And then you have a very talented defense that gets to add Grant to help it. They get to add Carl Joseph, who's a good box safety um, and didn't perform super well because they kept asking him to do stuff he's not good at. Uh, they keep Denzel Ward. Greedy Williams in the second year should be better. Uh, there's a lot of reason to believe that this team is a playoff caliber unit on both offensive defense. And so I have them as a wild card team at 10 and six. All right, Eric. Everything Kevin just said, I agree with, uh, with the additions and how, how this team is shaping up. Looking at this team on paper, minus their quarterback, this is a highly seeded playoff team. I am not on board with Baker Mayfield. I'm not saying I'm out on him. I don't know how good he is because he hasn't really shown us anything. Like we talked about Buffalo last week. We need the quarterback to show us something on these teams. Baker Mayfield is one of these quarterbacks. If he cannot do it this year, you got to do it or you got to get off the pot. Because as bad as Freddie Kitchens was, uh, Baker Mayfield has been a lot of talk. You can look up and down this roster. They got Austin Hooper on their roster. They got Jack Conkren. Like, this is, these are just massive additions every year, as well as the, the players they drafted last year. This year's draft, wow. I mean, this team should, this team we should get, challenge the Ravens right now. You get high draft picks when you go six and 10, Eric. Yeah, over and over. Exactly my point. So I'll just focus on Baker Mayfield because of him. Can he take them to 12, 13 wins? Probably not. I think they cap out at 10. Like Kevin said, is, is 10 likely? I don't think it's likely at this point, but I'll, I'll just say 10. All right. So here's, here's my thing. Okay. Is if you just look at this roster, it's a really good roster. Okay. They have two great, two great wide receivers and Richard Higgins is a good third wide receiver. They have a, a, very serviceable NFL offensive line. They have multiple tight ends who are starter quality in Njoku and Hooper. They have multiple running backs who are starter quality in Chubb and Hunt. Yeah, their defense is filled with players who are talented. Miles Garrett, Olivia Vernon, and Adrian Claiborne is a defensive end rotation that Seahawks fans would kill to have. Okay, their secondary looks like it's going to be pretty strong with Grant Delpit coming in to shore up the safety position. That being said, it is a first-time coach with a first-time offensive coordinator, a first-time defensive coordinator. And if you think that when when you have a first-time coach, you do not want him to bring in all first-time coordinators. You want him to bring in one old hand that knows what they're doing. I have a feeling that this could be a total dumpster fire. If wow. it works, it will really work. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. The talent's too good for them to be truly horrible. I have them at 8-8. Eight and eight. But, but, uh, but I think that the, this is like uh, – there's like a real – Oh, like a red flags for me there when you have the first time coach with the first time coordinators at, at, at every spot. I don't like that. If this team was coached by, by a, if they, you know, could warp in the hoodie, I'd pick them to go like 14 and two. Like, I'm not even joking. Like I, they, if they had a really good coach, I would be all over this team, but I am, I'm not in on Stefanski. I'm not in or out on Stefanski, but I don't like that. He brought in two first time coordinators with him. Uh, Van Pelt has very limited coordinator experience. Yes. When did Van Pell coordinate? I looked it up. I, I thought he was a quarterbacks coach last year. Uh, last year, yeah. He was Buffalo Bills. Like 10 years ago or something? Yes, exactly. Okay. okay. Like, I, he's been, I was, was going to say, he's been a quarterbacks coach forever. for a while. Yeah, he's, he's been an NFL uh, offensive coach. assistant for like half of forever. Uh, yeah, I just yeah. don't. 
and a former I, NFL quarterback. It's not. It's 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 a sketchy situation. I think for me. Uh, okay, we go that's to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it's uh, my turn to go first again. I think. Uh, I don't know. I'm just going to go for Steelers. They went eight and eight. They added warmly Eric Ebron, Stephen Wisniewski, Derek Watt. They lost Javon Hargrave, Nick Finette, BJ Finney, if you want to call Nick Finette a loss. Seahawks connection. So, you know, I skipped Finette and Finney there. So, you know, this is going to be a good one. Did you know Amar Darbo is currently on the Steelers roster? Whoa. Only because I'm physically looking at it. Otherwise, <laughs> right. I'd have had no chance. All right. They drafted Chase Claypool, <laughs> Alex Highsmith, and Kevin Dotson. Um, for me, this is tough because they gave up the first round pick to get Minka Fitzpatrick last year. Obviously, it worked out. They were an excellent defense last year. They bring almost everyone back. They lose Hargrave, which it does matter, but Wormley, I think, can replace a significant portion of that production. They bring in Highsmith as a rotational D, uh, linebacker. I think he's going to be pretty decent in that role. I like the defense. The offense is relying on Ben Roethlisberger to not be super washed, and I just don't know what to expect there. Uh, I think he might be a little washed, but he'll definitely be better than Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges were last year, which made me optimistic that they can get to eight and eight. I don't think they're going to be great and they could eke out more wins because Tomlin is good. They never have losing seasons with Tomlin and Roethlisberger is, I mean, they went eight and eight last year with a dumpster fire at quarterback, like literal disaster. Do you know they also have Paxton Lynch? Yes, (laughs) they do. And JT Barrett. (laughs) Just the ex Seahawks, uh, bad quarterback festival. Um, yeah, I think it's a good, it's a good solid roster that has upside, but like it's as far as Ben can take them. And I just don't know how far that really is any, anymore. So I got him at eight and eight, but I see potential for more there. All right. Uh, Eric, what do you like about Steelers? Uh, I don't really like much about the Steelers. I like Mike Tomlin because he is consistency at the head coaching position. Like you said, he's going to keep them from being a terrible team. Maybe like the uh, the Sonics before they left Seattle. Maybe they need to like bottom out and get really bad so they can land a Kevin Durant and move to Oklahoma City. Um, <laughs> this is this is seriously a team that is going to straddle that five hundred record. Nine. Yeah, joked about it before, but now you really aren't fun. <laughs> I mean, Mike Tomlin hey man, has getting ne- late, and and uh, the Mariners are starting to you know talk about starting the season. So I'm already getting depressed. So he's getting into midseason Mariner fan mode. I see how it is. Mike Tomlin's been their coach since 2007 and has never gone worse than eight and eight. So yeah. like being worse than eight and eight would be, I think, pretty a pretty big fall from grace. He's reverse Je- Jeff Fisher. Uh, <laughs> here's here's my take on the Steelers. slightly better. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I I like Mike Tomlin as a head coach. I probably won't want him as my head coach, but I feel like he should coach the Steelers forever. I like he him kept, even he, better as an actor on House. He kept that he kept that Antonio Brown thing like generally under wraps for so long that, and now we know that guy was like clown shoes, like he was literally insane. So clown Antonio shoes it's mm-hmm. kind of imp- it kind of made me think like that's impressive i'm very impressed by how you how you handled that situation so yeah I, I'll, I'll say this if ben roethlisberger plays the entire season lock him in at 10 or 11 wins he probably won't play the whole season sorry to be a downer kevin i have an eight and eight uh, right. i think eight and eight is a logical conclusion um their defense is going like that an interesting offseason because I think it's like a net zero, almost. Uh, Artie Burns wasn't doing much for them. Uh, same with uh, Chiquillo. They lost J- Justin Hargrave, but I think Wormley's a 
a high percent of the same player. I think Wisniewski's probably a little better than Finney. I think Everin's a upgrade on Nick Vanette. And then their draft was okay, but I don't think it's a lot of players that are going to be super impactful year one. Um, so we all came to the same conclusion. It comes down to Ben Roethlisberger's health. Because I think their wide receiver core is pretty stacked. Uh, Deontay Johnson, James Washington, and Juju Smith-Schuster are three legitimate wide receivers. Um, and Deontay Johnson, I think, showed improvement throughout last year. If he gets somebody who's actually willing to throw to a receiver and trust him to get open, um, I think you're going to see some really good numbers. And Washington finally showed that he can do something in the NFL. So Roethlisberger, I'm going to bet he misses somewhere between two and four games. But I don't think he's going to miss most of the season. And for that reason, um, with a defense that is going to be able to keep him in the hunt, I have them at nine and seven and slipping into the one of those back end wild card spots. So I actually ended up with three playoff teams coming out of the AFC North division. Yeah, I just had I just had the Ravens. I think that I have a division with three playoff teams as well, Kevin, but it's not this one. Uh, all right, so win totals. Here we go. You guys ready? Uh, Baltimore Ravens, 11 and a half. What do you think? You guys both went over on your picks, but would you bet over? or is it No, betting over, betting over on 11 and a half I think is just bad money. It's like fool's gold for sure. I would look at the odds. It doesn't have odds. It just has the total on this website. So it's just I would, way too easy to lose that bet. Right. 12 wins is tough in the NFL. Really good teams will win 11 games. Uh, we'll win 10 games even because it's just a couple bounces. It's all you need to not go your way. Steelers, nine and a half, Eric. What do you think? Uh, under. Sorry. I was going to chime in on the Ravens, but a massive plane was flying overhead, and I was like, I had to mute it for you, for everyone listening. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll take fool's gold on the Ravens, actually, under on the Steelers. All right. Uh, Kevin, what do you think about that Steelers 9.5? Uh, I don't like that one either, but I'll take the under if I have to take one side of it. I actually kind of like the under there. I think it's a, a little sneaky at 8-9. Uh, those, are, those are very possible for this team. All right, we've got the um, Cleveland Browns, 8.5. Mm. I think that is a very good line, and I would stay away from it. At almost any cost, but I'm going to force you guys to pick it. Kevin, what do you, you like over, right? I'm taking the over on that. If I have to pick it. Yeah. All right, Eric. Um, because of Nathan's preview and what you said about the coaches, it made me go, Oh, NBC. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Dateline style. I'm going under. I'm still mad that they hired the guy who got, killed by the uh, they had two coaching candidates finalized and they they ended yeah. up going with the guy who got destroyed in a playoff game it's like okay. even if it's the right decision the optics on that suck i i mean baker mayfield's gonna throw a lot of play action passes this year i'll tell you that because that's what they did last year in minnesota mm-hmm. uh the cincinnati Bengals five and a half i like slight over on that, that i think that's a tricky one um because fi- five wins would represent a big step forward for them going from two to five is a is still really good, so it's tricky. But I like over on that one. I think their offense is just too good for them to be. And they they lost a lot of really close games last year too. If you look at their schedule, they they should have won more than two games. They were a little bit fortunate to lose to win only two games because obviously they needed to get a, a new quarterback, and they were able to do so because they only won two games. So I like Bengals over. Uh, Kevin, do you join me Five on the over? Five and a half is a rough line because. 
I have him at five and eleven. But if you had to, but then if you were to ask me, do I think four or six wins is more likely? I would say six easily. So this is another line that I want to stay off of. Good job, Vegas, for setting good lines. I'm taking the under if I have to bet it. All right, and then I, uh, I take over, but <laughs> if you don't, if you bet over and you don't win, that's like the most depressing loss. Because since when you bet over five and a half on the Cincinnati Bengals and then they're they're five and ten going into week sixteen and they're playing who are they playing week sixteen? This is gonna be good. They're playing the Ravens and the Ravens are resting all their starters, and you're like, Oh, all they gotta do is beat the Ravens with all their starters resting, and then they and lose. And RG3 just murders them. Right, exactly. They <laughs> they lose because to like RG three and uh their third string running back now. Which you're just making the Michael JK Dobbins just runs for a thousand yards in that game. Yeah, what, and it's just you just get so mad the whole time you're watching because it's just you're like, why is this happening to me? I I just needed them to beat the backups at home, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's that's the worst. All right, um, there are it's money zone time. I think there are many ways to support Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so is head over to Patreon.com/slash/SeahawksNest. New June Patreons, we got a lot of them: Michael, Peter, Tony, Mark, Jay, Lucas. Be like them. Join the Seahawks Nest Patreon. For as little as a dollar twenty-four a month, once the season starts, you get our weekly gambling podcast. And in the off season, we make a couple of videos and throw them up there and stuff. Uh, Kevin had uh, some draft previews and stuff like that that have been up there. Good stuff. So, um, yep. And then, uh, if you don't want to do that, head over to iTunes, leave a review. Uh, it's nice, um, nice of you to do that. Helps people find the show. <sighs> movie Zone. We said we were going to Movie Club. We said we were going to talk about. Uh, oh wait, a newer I gotta, movie. I, Sorry, I gotta thank all the Patreons who do it. I forgot that, that I four dollars and over. So give me one sec. Okay, here we go. Thank you to Brett, James, Carrie, Lucas, Timothy, Tom, Tony, Bob, Brian, Flocktimus, Keith, Jay, Karen, Michelle, Mike, Richard, and then there's oh my gosh, I sorted it by the stupid way. And then Brandon and Nick. Uh, thank you guys for supporting the CXNS podcast. It really means a lot. Okay, now newer movie. We we watched uh, Knives Out. I rewatched it actually. Let's take that. I went out, I went back and watched it again. This is the third time I've seen it now. Overachiever. So, yeah, I am okay. My <laughs> my opinion on this movie is that it's it's really good. Uh, <laughs> it has a great ensemble cast, and one thing I like is that like the way that he got all these weaselly performances out of everyone is just really satisfying. Like everyone is just such a two faced weasel in this movie. And even like the characters, like, like I think they try to get you to like, like what's the, um, the daughter that, that smokes weed. What's her name? Meg. Right. Uh, they try to make you think like, she's like the perfect, like, Oh, she's, she's nice. But in that way, that's just like, you really know she sucks. Do you know what I mean? Like she she has nice (laughs) optics. Yeah, she like seems nice, but really she sucks the worst. She's like well, just as bad as everyone else. So I, I kind of love that. So I, I don't know. I thought it was really just a an awesome movie, and it's there's so many good performances. To me, it's cool to see like Tony Collette go in a like more fun direction after doing like a couple like real serious like horror and and like weird movies like Heredity and stuff and stuff like that and like Velvet Buzzsaw and all these movies that were not as fun to go back <laughs> to being uh, fun again. That was pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, I, I found it quite enjoyable um, overall. It's just a really fun movie. It's really good. Um, I'm gonna let you guys uh, dig in a little bit, and then I'll come back with some fun facts at the end. 
So Kevin, you can go first. All right. Um, so I think this is a really clever movie. I think this is the kind of movie that I want Ryan Johnson making because um, he was allowed to really make it his own and he put so much into it and rewatching it, you get a lot out of it. Um, there's, you know, it's, it's, it starts off as a whodunit and then it, uh, we're going spoiler free, I assume on this, right? No, spoil it. Who cares? Uh, at this point, if you haven't seen it yet, you should stop listening. Okay. So uh, I love the way that it starts off as this whodunit, and then the end of Act One is going. This isn't a whodunit anymore. Now it's turning into a thriller. And then sometime during Act Three, they're like, "Hey, guess what? Turns out it was a whodunit." And you get every clue that you need is there. And when you're going back through, every time that there's something that gets uh, revealed, it was on your list of things that were possible, but it's not like absolute like you need that last piece of evidence and as soon as you get that last piece of evidence then they go ahead and concede that point and you get to move on with that piece so you get to pick up the breadcrumbs as it goes um the characters are uh fun like you find out right away they're going to be unreliable narrators you find out that everything that you're learning is iffy um, I love the way that they throw you into the middle of investigation. You don't start with the initial interviews or anything. They establish like, hey, we already have a timeline. We already know what's going on in the movie. Now you're coming in with Benoit LeBlanc and you are uh, having to like pick it up midstream and figure out what's going on. I just think there's a lot of really clever moves in here that take something that could be like just kind of a fun whodunit and make it more. And the cast is friggin' amazing. Like when mm-hmm. you can have Lakeith Stanfield in what's actually like a smaller role and yeah. he still shines in this movie, like Lakeith Stanfield gets moments or uh, Christopher Plummer, barely any time on camera. And like Christopher Plummer looks really good in this movie or uh, Stanfield's partner who just like fanboys out every time something happens is hilarious. It's the attention to detail on casting and every character having a purpose, I think is uh, cool and special. As Kevin said, the way this movie kind of goes around and, and gives you, it drops you little hints and then kind of takes you out, brings you back in with kind of telling you uh, how this man, how this man was, uh, was killed is, is very interesting. Uh, But Kevin, it does help you arrive at the end. Well, you're looking for the filling in the hole of the donut. Oh my gosh, the, <laughs> the accent is is like so extra. It's so purposefully extra too, though. It's, it's so, so silly. Good. Yeah, it's um, it, it. Here's the thing, though. Like he was doing Agatha Christie. Um, he was doing Hercule Poirot uh, in a different way. Um, dude, the, sign me up for every Benoit LeBlanc movie. Yeah, man. why I'm not? So glad they're doing more of them. Let it get bad. Let it get bad before, like they always say, don't don't ruin something. Like let it go out on a high note. Let this get bad, so I can be like, yeah, I'm done with those movies. I'll take seven. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fun movie. It's super fun. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, the performances across board are great. Really terrible characters. Uh, Michael Shannon, one of my favorite actors, and it returns <laughs> in another uh, stellar performance. 
looking more and more like Kyle every time we see him. That's a little <laughs> inside joke. Um, uh, really, the only sometimes you know I feel stress in a movie. The only stress I felt here was like when you know the entire family are just being a bunch of shit bags, and I'm just like, oh, oh, these I hate them all. Uh, but the ending, the very last scene, so satisfying, <laughs> so satisfying. Um, okay, so you ready for some fun facts? Yeah. Uh, okay, Kay Callen, who plays the great grandma, is six years younger than uh, Christopher Plummer. Perfect. Mm-hmm. She's eighty-four. He is ninety. Um, they didn't finish the fo- the painting of Harlan in the movie, and so if you watch closely, his tie and and facial expression change because they they were using a green screen version for some yes, of the yes he's smiling scenes. at the end yep and he's not in the beginning ones um because they didn't finish it um they you know how she has that cup at the end that says my house my rules my coffee um they they were like we didn't plan on using that cup it just kind of happened and then he was like oh this is perfect that she's drinking out of a cup this is my house my rules my coffee also she wasn't they weren't supposed to have the balcony scene and they were just kind of getting ready to do that shoot. And they were like, oh, no, this is perfect. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the cop who calls at the at the end on the phone. Really? Um, so that's uh, that's kind of, yeah, it's so it's like a special. It's going back to Looper, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a special cameo, I guess, is, is what you say. Um, it's Frank Oz in this movie as the lawyer. It's pretty awesome. I thought that was like a really cool cameo. Dude, I love when uh, the lady who's with him keeps having to like correct him on stuff. He's just really yeah. incompetent. It's just a little fun touches like that are so good. Yeah, and then they change the script a lot on the fly because ha- like partially way th- part of the way through filming, Ryan Johnson decided it wanted he wanted it to be rated PG thirteen instead of rated R. So I so, think that was a good move marketing wise. So, so so he went from like there was like a lot of f bombs in and uh, some of the parts of the movie and he changed them afterwards to be a little bit less uh, crass so that he could um you know do the so he could have it be rated PG thirteen yeah that could have hurt the movie that's uh it's good to know that's the one time I'll agree with that move how about this uh Liza uh, Daniel Craig loves Liza Minnelli so he made them use her version of losing my mind always waiting in the car wow he said i want to use this version not the other version uh (laughs) another thing that i heard was that um when the family's like bickering in the background so like if you're supposed to be listening to uh leblanc talk to stanfield or something Mm -hmm. um the background bickering is ad-libbed okay so they'll just let the actors like uh like argue or yell out about something so uh there's a couple of scenes where everyone's doing something and michael shannon will just do something like louder than everyone else to try and get him to break character because he's very good at ad living. Mm-hmm. There's there's some really funny th- things shouted in the background if you listen carefully. All right. So there you go. Uh, we all recommend Knives Out. I think it's, it's a really good movie. So for uh, Kevin, for Eric, we will uh, see you all next week. And go Hawks. <laughs>